welcome to Season 1, Episode 2 of The Flight Deck. All right, everybody, welcome back. Uh, glad you guys are returning customers. If not uh, for the first time here, welcome to The Flight Deck. So for uh, Season 1, Episode 2, I thought I'd spend a little bit of time talking about training contracts, flow programs, and networking slash letters of recommendation. So I'd like to start this episode off talking about a flow program. Uh, for those of you who don't know what a flow program is, it's used by a lot of regional carriers and uh, potentially some cargo carriers to attract new hire pilots. And the idea behind the flow program is to say, hey, come fly for company ABC, and in two and a half years or six years or whatever it happens to be, uh, we'll guarantee an interview to a major and or a larger cargo carrier. Now, on paper, or if you're reading this online, uh, you know the flow program sounds fantastic. Uh, but there's a little bit to think about when you're doing one of these programs. Um, from the regional standpoint, most flow programs have some sort of seat lock and or a commitment. The problem with this is, let's say this is your first airline and you're working for uh, ABC Airlines. We'll keep it uh, de-identified. So you go to work for ABC Airlines and you go through training and you go through all of the, the struggles to get through IOE and you're finally on the line and you're flying. And maybe something's not going the way it's supposed to. Maybe, um, maybe you're on a reserve and you're having a hard time making ends meet uh, financially or you're trying to figure out how to commute. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of things that are involved with flying in a 121 world that they don't tell you when you sign up. Um, again, a couple things I just touched on, commuting. Uh, commuting is the devil, in my opinion. Uh, <laughs> You know, even if you're commuting from a, a base, let's say like Los Angeles to Phoenix or to San Francisco, you think, oh, okay, no big deal. It's only an hour flight. Uh, most of the major carriers, one flight every hour. So you think, okay, no big deal, easy to get on. Well, you got to factor in travel time to the airport. Uh, once you get there, you're flying on standby, which doesn't guarantee you a seat. If any of you have ever done that before, you know how terrible that can be. And then once you get on, let's say, uh, let's say you get a seat, fine. So you spend the next hour and a half in the airplane, and you know potential delays, potential flow, so on and so forth. And all of a sudden, by the time you're, it's all said and done, you just spent six hours traveling for a one-hour flight to commute in the day before you start your reserve period, or maybe the day after you start re your reserve period. Um, so your three days off in between trips uh, turns into one day off. So that's something to be a little wary of. On top of that, so now you're locked into the seat lock for let's say two years. So now you're commuting, you're losing days off in between your actual work days or reserve days. And then something else to consider too is, is what your paycheck's going to look like. Most companies right now are in the $35 to $45 range per hour, which is fantastic. You got to consider though that you're going to get paid anywhere from 70 to 75 hours guaranteed. And what you got to really look into is see if you can pick up extra flying on your days off. Now this is a great way to make extra cash. Uh, some companies offer an overtime pay for that, 150%, 125%, which is great for your wallet. However, now you're cutting into your quality of life again because now, instead of being able to go home, now you're working on days that you weren't working. And another quick thing to consider, and this is something that you'll learn over time as you go through interview processes, when you're in an interview with somebody, let's say ABC Regional Airlines, one thing that most people forget is not only are you being interviewed, but the airline that you're choosing is also getting an interview as well. What I mean by that is while you're getting interviewed, if you can, if you can take the mental capacity, start to pay attention to what the interview panel is doing. Pay attention to what the HR is doing. Pay attention to what the front desk person is doing. You know, they 
should also be under the impression that when they bring potential new hires into the company on interview day, that they as well are being interviewed. Because I guarantee you that ABC Airlines, when you walk into that front door, they're watching you the entire time you're in that building during an interview. So what this really brings me around to is, is when you're choosing ABC Airlines based on a flow program, uh, you might want to look at those other factors. Now, this is just a very small, um, subjective, quick overlook at quality of life. There's there's so many different factors to that, and I, I can't name all of them because quality of life means different things to different people. And for some people, for your first time dipping into the 121 or 135-91 world, uh, you may not understand what quality of life really means. And, and for someone like me, I had to learn by trial by fire. So again, just take a good hard look at, and really take a look at what's happening in your life before you go commit to a flow program. Um, something else to look for when you're uh, shopping for airlines, which is a totally relative term nowadays, uh, ABC Airlines has a flow program in, let's say, five years to a major airline. Something you need to do is try to get a hold of that flow program, to get, get a hold of the fine print. Um, I know that there's flow programs out there that... Uh, you know, XYZ major is going to hire 65% of their new hires from ABC Airlines. Great. Fantastic. What you need to look at is how long is that going to last? Does XYZ major have the ability to cut the flow program at any point in time? What does ABC Airlines look like as far as the flow program timeline? Do they say it's going to be a year and a half to go work at XYZ or maybe it's going to be 10 years to work at XYZ? So the point is, is something to be wary of is it, maybe you're five years into ABC Airlines and XYZ goes, nope, we're done. We're clipping the flow program. Have a nice day. We've hired our 65%. Something else to be aware of. Uh, I just became aware to me a couple weeks ago. I had a jump seater on my airplane. And he had just mentioned, uh, you know, the, the airline that I work for does not have a flow program. And he kind of mentioned that to us when he was getting settled into the cockpit and making his nest. He said, hey, do you guys have a flow program? We said, no, we don't. We have um, some other incentives, but it's not, uh, you know, it's not a for sure thing. He says, well, it's actually not a bad thing. My last FO at ABC Airlines left ABC for another airline. He said the reason why is he would have had to wait another two and a half years to go through the flow program rather than taking a direct entry captain position and then getting hired at XYZ major. So if that makes any sense to you, if this guy's FO, my jump seater's FO, would have stayed at ABC Airlines, he would have been stuck there for another two years rather than taking an opportunity, taking a slight risk of changing airlines, which is a big deal because now you're going through another initial, you go to the bottom of the seniority list, so on and so forth. However, it paid off for him because he got to XYZ major much, 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 much faster. That's two years sooner. That's two years sooner he can retire. And also two years sooner that he collects a higher paycheck and enjoys the benefits of XYZ major. So I think if you're going to take anything away from looking at a flow program, again, they, they, it could suit you. But what you really need to do is do a lot of research, try to talk to a lot of people, um, I don't necessarily recommend going on to the forums. There's a, a website that's very popular. When you say the forums, everybody knows what you're talking about. Um, you can try to get on there and try to message people. Uh, it's real difficult to sift through that stuff. Um, you know, it's 
it's just one of those things where you got to do a little bit of research and do a little bit of time. Uh, but again, try to get the fine details of the flow program. Try to get to the nitty gritty of what that contract or what that agreement really says. Also try to understand that once you agree to a flow program, you may be seat locked in whichever aircraft they're offering that program in uh, for maybe a year, maybe it's two years, maybe it's three years. I haven't heard of a three-year seat lock in a long time. Doesn't mean it doesn't exist. So having said that, now we can kind of start talking about training contracts, and this applies more to a wider variety of pilots and pilot jobs. Um, training contracts in simple are just a contract between the employer and the employee. The employee completes tasks one through five, the employer, in turn, completes tasks 6 through 10. Uh, this usually includes compensation, work rules, um, aircraft, uh, maintenance, cleanliness, uh, maybe potential uh, off days, so on and so forth. Something to be wary of training contracts. It is a contract. So legally, you're, you're required to follow that contract. Um, you know, in California specifically, uh, training contracts are not supposed to hold up in court, but I've heard of cases where they do. And there are numerous loopholes to get around those contracts. Uh, the law's not perfect. People aren't perfect. Uh, so you may or may not find yourself in a bad situation. So before you sign a contract, you know, really, again, just like the flow program, really, really look deep into what that contract means and make sure that's something you really want to do. And if you've never done it before, uh, if you've never worked for a 91 operator, 135 operator, 121 operator, I, in my honest opinion and in my advice, I'd say avoid it because you don't know what you're getting into. I mean, really, um, you might have uh, some mentors that you can talk to that might tell you one thing or another, but you know, things change and everybody's different. Just like quality of life, it means something different for everybody else. Uh, training contracts can be uh, uh, sneaky, to say the least. Um, you know, there, I've seen some contracts that, well, I, I can't necessarily say too many details because it'll give away the company, but basically um, the contract requires you to work on a certain day, and on that certain day, uh, you hold a lot of responsibility for the aircraft and the operation. Um, some people, this is great. That's a responsibility that I would not want to have. Uh, but it's a legal binding contract, and it's something you sign in your pre-employment packet. You know, everything you put your signature on has has meaning to it one way or another, and that would be a huge meaning if something were to go wrong. And something else to be a little wary of is when you sign that contract, uh, it's potential that you know maybe your employer has never done a contract before, and be aware of when that does happen. Uh, you know, a lot of times it's like when you're buying a used car. The employer will bring you a contract, and they say, hey, how does this look? And if you go, oh, it looks pretty good, the employer's taking you for a run. I mean, that's just how it is. They're there to make money. You're there to make money, but they're there to make money off of you. So if your employer has never made a contract before, you might be able to play a little hardball. And if they say, hey, we're going to guarantee you $60,000 a year to go fly uh, whatever airplane, and you go, well, actually, when we talked on the phone, it was $65,000 per year. They may push back a little bit, but there's, there's, you're not obligated to anything until you actually sign your name. And once you do sign your name, I highly, 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 highly recommend getting at least two copies of that contract. Um, if you do find yourself in a legal binding, you want the original signed contract or any potential updated contracts that you may have signed. 
not only are you obligated to follow that piece of paper that you've agreed to, uh, any verbal agreements can be agreed to as well. Um, and they will stand up in court in some, some cases and in some uh, states or counties. Um, again, you know, kind of back to my example, well, I, got, I agree to get paid $65,000, but you're offering me sixty. I don't want to sign your contract. The employer can come back and say, well, we're going to offer you 62000 then on a bonus, verbally, a bonus, we're going to give you another $4,000. So they go, okay, great. I just made a couple bucks. I'll sign a contract. No big deal. If they don't own up to that, it's a verbal agreement. You can argue that in court if you do wind up there for some reason. So again, to recap the uh, last 13 minutes or so, be very wary of flow programs. Be very wary of training contracts and seat locks. Uh, it, it's just good practice. It protects yourself. Um, and something to look at, too. If a company has a flow program and or a training contract, it means they have a high rate of attrition. It means people are leaving quickly for some reason. Uh, the 121 world, this can be explained easily. And right now, it's a pilot's market. It's going to be a pilot's market for at least the next five years uh, with the amount of retirements that they know about, let alone people leaving, getting sick, so on and so forth. So the regional airlines know that they're going to lose people, so they do their best they can to seat lock people and to keep them there in order to fulfill the flying agreements they've made with XYZ Major and so on and so forth. In the 135-91 world, uh, this is something that you might want to look at a little bit more closely. Um, if you go work for uh, so-and-so regional charters or you know, so-and-so air cargo and they have a training contract, uh, they, a lot of times they'll tie it into a bonus, and that bonus is also tied into a contract where um, you know, we'll give you disbursements every three months for staying. It's a longevity bonus, but we want you to pay it back if you leave before a year. So is it really a bonus? Do you really have to stay for a year? You know, how's your quality of life can be affected by that? Um, another thing to look at with those smaller operators and having those training contracts, uh, a lot of times, again, they have the higher attrition. Well, attrition is not something you really talk about in the 135-91 world. So why are guys quitting? Are the aircraft in bad shape? Is the maintenance in bad shape? Is the actual business in bad shape? What's the reputation? Um, Try to go talk to your local FISDO. Uh, don't be afraid to walk in there and talk to those guys. Uh, ask them, say, hey, you know what? I'm considering employment with uh, one, two, three charters. Uh, what do you guys know about them? And they're not going to disclose everything, but if you're pretty good at reading body language, it'll give you a good idea right off the bat with how that operator stands with the local FISDO. Uh, you walk in there, and, and the previous company I was at, you walk in there and say, hey, I want to work for so-and-so charters. What do you guys know about them? Is this a good option? What do you think? Uh, right away, yeah, so-and-so charters is great. They do a great job with their pilots. The aircraft are in great shape all the time, so on and so forth. And then if you walk in there and say, well, I'm thinking about working for uh, another company that's across the field, and they may go, uh, they're pretty good, or uh, yeah, we can't tell you anything about them. Again, read your body language. It'll tell you everything you need to know right then and there. So at this point, we're going to take a little break, and uh, we'll come back and talk about letters of recommendation and networking, how important that is for helping build your career. All right, season one, episode two. Here we are at that time where potential advertisers could be placed into the podcast. Uh, if anybody out there listening is interested in doing so, shoot me an email. Email us the same for the Q&A session. Hopefully we can work out a deal.
All right, then welcome back. So networking, what is networking and how do you do it? Networking in short is basically just opening your mouth and talking to somebody. Uh, believe it or not, I got my first job from networking. Uh, I just so happened to be wearing a sweatshirt with an airplane on the back and had a guy stop me. It was actually jury duty. The only time I've ever been assigned jury duty. Walked into the cafeteria at lunch break and the guy goes, hey, I've been to that airport before because it was a sweatshirt. You know, is a sweatshirt that had a uh, flight school on the back. And so we get to talking a little bit, and it turns out that, uh, you know, at that point I was in a little bit of a weird spot in my career. I didn't have my CFI, um, didn't really have any money to complete the CFI either, and it was just kind of at a loss. So it turns out that he knew a guy that needed a guy to sit in the right seat of the citation, and for me the rest is history. Uh, and that's where it really became apparent that networking is so important. You know, you never know who you're going to meet out on the street or maybe out at the airport or at your local flight school. You know, it's real important to, uh, you know, it might be a little bit of overkill, but as someone who's going through flight training, maybe get yourself some business cards and say, hey, you know, I'm so-and-so, I'm learning how to fly, I'm doing this, doing that. You know, here's my card, I'd love to keep in contact with you. Maybe down the road, that person will help you get you a job somewhere. I've seen it before, not only with myself, but some of my friends, and we've all been able to reap the benefits of, uh, well, just being social. This bridges into talking about letters of recommendation. Now, for some of you that are a little more advanced in your career and to the point where maybe you want to move on from a regional carrier or Part 135 slash 91 slash cargo carrier, and you want to go for a major airline. Uh, some people have different views on letters of recommendation. In my honest opinion, it does nothing but help you. I do think that there's a magic number. I think uh, rolling into any kind of interview or any kind of application status with 10 or 15 letters of recommendation is a little bit fishy and a way overkill. However, uh, you know, it wouldn't hurt to have that many letters, but I don't think I would submit all those at the same time. Kind of seems like the magic number is anywhere from, uh, about, let's say about three to six, depending on which company you're looking at. But letters of recommendation, how do you get them? Well, Either you got to know somebody that flies airplanes or have a great personal reference that would be willing to spend a little bit of time and talk about you in such a way that really uh, helps demonstrate your qualities and how you'd be a good fit at whichever company you're applying to or, or having the letter of recommendation written for. So beyond that, how do you get a letter of recommendation? Well, uh, it goes back to what I just talked about with networking. Be social. Talk to people. You know, build personal references. Uh Hopefully you get to fly with the same people all the time so they can really test your flying skills. For you airline operators, something I saw the other day that I thought was pretty slick, uh, there was a person in our jump seat, and so I happened to work for American Airlines, and the captain was operating that flight as the pilot flying. I was pilot monitoring. So we get to our destination and park and uh, let the jump seater know it's okay to get up and start heading out the airplane. And, but before he does that, the captain turns around and says, hey, you know, uh, I'm really interested in working for American, and uh, would you mind writing a letter of recommendation for me? And the first thing that jump seater does is pull out a business card, write down its information, and gives it to the captain. And I'm sitting there thinking, why didn't I ever think of this? I mean, it's such a great way to network. It's such a great way to be social. It's such a great way to get a letter of recommendation because now not only did this guy just watch you fly, but he also saw how you manage an aircraft. And, you know, that's some valuable information when that person eventually gets around to writing a letter of recommendation. The letters of recommendation that I have on file are just from networking. Uh, one of them, I was in a crash pad and became friends with a gentleman, and he decided he would write me a letter of recommendation to uh, show that I'd be a good fit for that company that he works for that I'd love to work for as well. Uh, another one I have is just from a personal flying reference in the charter world where I flew with this gentleman 
geez, for probably a year, year and a half. It was just nothing but me and him flying this airplane around. So for my position, it's networking. Uh, for this captain's position, it was just actual operational experience and just being smart and simply just asking. So again, I thought that was pretty slick, but there's, there's so many different ways to, you know, network and be social and, uh, try to help your career advance and not only do that, but you gain contacts and you might've gained a couple of friends out of it. So having said all that, um, this is going to wrap up season one, episode two. All right. That concludes today's show. Uh, season one, episode two of the flight deck. I'd like to thank you again for joining, listening, participating. Uh, again, keep the emails going, keep the questions coming. So next episode, uh, episode three, uh, we'll start doing some Q and a stuff and, be a little bit less about me babbling about stuff and a little bit more about uh, some questions you guys really want to have answered. Again, thanks for joining us and have a great day.